Hello and welcome to Between Two Cairns. I'm your host, Yochai Gall. Hi, I'm Brad. And today we're going to be reviewing Super Blood Harvest by Dirk with a Vengeance, otherwise known as Dirk Lecti. Dirk is a longtime favorite of mine in terms of uh, his art pieces in other products that I've seen. Um, I think he does it really... He has a really good sense of the fantastic, of the odd and and weird. A lot of his, I think, art can be described as strange, otherworldly. Um, what what sorts of words come to mind for you when you're looking at any of his work? Well, I feel like his art really lives in the isometric. You know what I mean? He's always got that that certain perspective that you know as a as a Dirk joint, and lots of checkerboards, lots of kind of surrealism. Um, yeah, it's got a real look, very colorful. And I feel like a thing I like about his art is, um, it really reads as like physical art. Like this was made on paper. You know what I mean? You can just kind of feel the ink and feel the paper on the, on his work. That's interesting that you say his work is isometric because a lot of dungeon design or dungeon map design in OSR products use isometric as a perspective. I don't know very much about art, but my understanding is that an isometric dungeon is one where you're the the viewer angle is kind of like up and twi- and tilted. Is that, does that make sense? Is there a, uh, what what's the what is the if someone didn't know what it meant, how would you describe an isometric dungeon? Yeah, it's like three 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 fourths perspective I see sometimes. It's like you're playing Qbert. I'm sure a ton of all the Qbert fans listening to this pod are, are just pumping their fists right now. But that that actually really works for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that you bring up Dirk's um, isometric style because you'd think that that would lend itself to useful map designs. So what I am curious about with respect to Super Blood Harvest is how true that rings and we're going to find out. Um, But before we delve into that any further, let's just explain to our listeners uh, what is super blood harvest? How would, how would you describe the omnibus edition that we both purchased? Well, um, so this is an omnibus three. uh, I think there are zines originally super blood harvest one, two, three, and then Dirk's uh, own version of, Kind of into the odd, which call it was called Dirk Rules. That's kind of added as an appendix to run through the Super Blood Harvest modules. Uh, it's really, I would say, super high quality product by uh, Swordfish Islands. Really sparkly, glittery hardcover. I don't know. I really went for it and treated myself to this hardcover a couple months ago, and it's just a very luxurious RPG product. I got to say. Now, I own this in hardcover as well, although I purchased it uh, when it was on sale. And the earlier versions I had read of it were just the third adventure in the series, um, which I honestly really liked when I first read it uh, ages ago. Um, I I do feel that for those who are looking for the uh, PDF version of this, uh, you know, (laughs) hmm, let me back up for a second here because I, I almost just went into spoiler territory. Um, 
I definitely have a preference in terms of which adventures I'd read. And um, I, I, as far as I can tell, Dirk iterated on um, some of the core themes in earlier adventures as he went on. So after the first adventure, I think things got a little tighter in the second adventure and um, he leaned in even more so to his uh, core themes in the third adventure and, and presumably in his new, I believe he, uh, he just completed a Kickstarter for a sort of sequel to this omnibus. What is it called? Oh, the Bloodship returns. I believe there it is. There it is. So yeah, he seems to be progressing in a certain way in terms of reviewing this without spoiling it. I don't see how you can talk about some of the positives and negatives of without talking about the rules. I think the the maps and the art are the other two big uh, factors in how folks will like or dislike this collection. But I think the rules are kind of an interesting uh, doorway into the strategy Dirk, the, into, into Dirk's design philosophy. Um, Dirk rules are based on Into the Odd, but they really lean into combat in a way that I've never seen any into the odd hack do before. Would you agree with that, Brad? Yeah, very combat heavy version of into the odd. There's things like reactions in between combat rounds and um, it's very like explicitly defined things you can do in combat, which into the odd really leaves as kind of open-ended to kind of fill in the blanks on your own. This is, this is very, uh, a little more, strictly defined as as what you can do in combat. Right. Um, So for instance, you can spend your HP to get higher dexterity. That's one of the interesting kind of combat tweaks is you can kind of put yourself at higher risk to give yourself higher reflexes, essentially. Um, They have things like advanced combat actions, which uh, I frankly don't understand why those are necessary into, into an into the odd based game, but um, I can see why some people would like the kind of fiddliness of them. Uh, as you said, there are reactions, things that would normally just be a, what's called a save and in into the odd have kind of um, hard guidelines for how they could work in a uh, combat situation, which again is quite unusual for into the odd into the odd is all about, avoiding combat because of how dangerous it is but that is from what i can tell not at all the design of this particular hack of into the odd um there are things like um tests with gradient complexity or gradient uh difficulty excuse me um almost almost like a pbta style (laughs) result system um there is a you know advantage and disadvantage which i've seen before in into the odd uh and its descendants yeah, so overall, there's just a lot more fiddliness. Um, and some of that, I think, makes sense. Uh, the modules are all about power-ups. You know, all these adventures are full of power-ups. They're full of um, tweaking a player's abilities, um, gaining new abilities. I would say it's a very, like, video game RPG presentation in a lot of this book. There, there's, like, a game over screen at the end of each module. At the beginning, it there's a screen or a page, choose your character. There's pre-generated character kind of archetypes for you to pick that already have stats. Um, and I like that approach to this RPG a lot. Um, but I feel like that, uh, that kind of design philosophy trickles down into this rule set. It's like, we've got different 
you know, actions from our RPG combat menu to select here. Right. And I think that's a good segue. I don't think we need to talk about the rules that much more right now. I do think the player selection options at the beginning of each of these adventures are, I think, some of the best, most exciting ways I've seen to get people invested in a game right away. Like I can imagine making little cards, you know, for Monster Hunter, Shadow Beaster, Spirit Media. You know, I can see that. I can see myself printing out little video game cards and putting them out in front of all the players and saying, pick one, you know, you're not rolling up a character. You're picking one right now. Yeah. They kind of, I think they're cool too. I don't know. Really. I think there's room to kind of apply your own twist on these characters, even though they already have pre-generated stats and it just gives you such weird and cool, like portfolios of ideas here. Like, the shadow beaster can conjure up shadow beasts that can look like any natural animal. It's like, okay, <laughs> who would, who would have thought of that? Unless that was something that was, you know, strictly listed out here, you know, explicitly listed out as an option for your character. I guess that's just, I'm just saying classes and RPGs are cool, but um, I guess <laughs> in this case it works. I like classes and I, I think this really works for me. And, I, you know, it's very similar to Silent Titans in that way, which, you know, was written by Patrick Stewart, but uh, Dirk did do the maps for that one, uh, which I have similar feelings about. I think giving the characters, particularly in a game based on Into the Odd, is I would say it's a it's a very confident way to get people invested in the game. You're not saying make your own character. You're saying, no, you're playing these classes but they're not like your traditional classes at all i mean uh, you can be a contortionist it's not like you're like well i'm gonna be a mage thief or whatever people play you know it's it's really specific to the themes of the adventure and i i think that that's pretty awesome i really like it yeah and i think it really shines as we get a little further along in the series i think it it reaches its peak on Super Blood Harvest 2 because there are such weird classes. There's like haunted power armor and like an orb of condensed dead souls that just rolls around. You can't hold anything. You're just this weird like soul orb that shoots ghosts at people. Like <laughs> it gets so outlandish. And uh, I don't see a lot of RPGs going that hard on the weird factor on, on classes, you know, short of like Troika or something like that. I like the sentient power armor, you know, where you're walking around with a, a corpse inside of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I think that the video game aspects are the strongest thematic bits to all of these. I think they work really, really well. Whether mechanically that's true is another discussion, but I think in terms of theme and presentation, even for my poor eyes, the uh, layout is still very clear. And despite it being, you know, <laughs> all caps and very digital looking, it, it it's it's quite easy to read. Um, there are some strong colors used in the layout um, that, again, make it look very much like a video game, but still uh, are used in such a way where they highlight important things like NPCs and treasure and dangers and stuff so all that's very appreciated and again i think that's the strongest part of this is the layout works with the themes really really well to a point yeah and i think 
you know, for me, I think Dirk is such a strong visual artist that this book is such just like a beautiful work just to like hold and look through and just absorb the artwork that, um, yeah, even if I never thought I would play this, this is a book I don't think I would ever want to part with just because it's so fun to page through and just like absorb all these this this kind of gorgeous little details that Dirk packs into these pages. I agree. The art is incredible. It's astounding. It's unique. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. Kind of reminds me of the weird coffee table books that my uncle had when I was younger and would visit, visit his house. This is the same guy who introduced me to basically all things nerd. And he would have these weird art books on display at his house on his coffee table. It kind of reminds me of some of that stuff, which, you know, frankly haunts me to today. (laughs) That said, I think we are beating around the elephant in the room, which is the maps. And these are not maps. I'll give you an example here. Okay. So in super blood harvest one, the PCs are on a ship. And the way that this looks on the page is a series of rooms with no walls of varying heights with no real way for me to know how one room connects to another with one exception. There are different colored tiles that indicate to you as the GM um, whether a room has oxygen or not, which I guess is helpful. There are no creatures illustrated anywhere in any of the rooms. They're just room numbers on top of pink and yellow and green and black tiles. I don't know what this is supposed to be. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean that like, okay. So in the, in the very first room, the PCs, this is, I think, okay to talk about since it's the premise, the PCs are, um, they find themselves in a blood duct like you do. I guess just to back up the premise is, there is a vampire spaceship has abducted you earthlings and you are flying towards the moon and you are now waking up in a spaceship that's full of blood and vampires. That old chestnut. <laughs> so as usual, it's an awesome, awesome. It is, it's an awesome pre- premise for uh, the PCs to find themselves in, um, you know, really great language here man-faced eels hiding among scattered chum and flotsam Uh, um, as far as i can tell there are two exits in the room Uh, one is a duct in the floor a blood duct the other is is some other way okay so let me be clear there are no walls between rooms they are described as platforms hanging in the air which to me means as pcs they could based on the map jump from the blood room into uh, room number five, which is the sprawling multi-roomed section of the dungeon. But I, I can't tell whether that's possible. I can't tell whether they could jump off. Like, I can't tell, is the blood duct their only way out? Or can they get out of this room by jumping off the floating platform? Or will that kill them? Or is there not? I, I don't understand what it is I'm supposed to do with the information presented by this map. So... The way I think about these adventures, and I think reading this book, I'm I'm going to put Dirk in a similar category as uh, a creator like Luca Reitz, um, something like Ultraviolet Grasslands, where each work is just, just, there's just great ideas just pouring out of these pages. Like you can just read this and just absorb 
the, the crazy weirdness, the, I don't know, all the monsters are weird. There's items that are interesting. There's just interesting situations, but as like a technical, um, like document to guide play, like technical writing in that sense, uh, it, it is kind of hard to f- figure out like the intent of how this is supposed to be run. Yeah. Like you said, like navigation, navigating the ship on like a basic way. Like, yeah. Can you like jump from room to room? I mean, there's the, it's isometric. So we see there's different heights, but it's not super clear if that is doable or if that's like something that the author intended or even just the wall, the rooms have no walls. So like you can see everything. So what does that mean for generating encounters? Like, do you have to just roll them all and just track that? ahead of time it just it's kind of a lot to to kind of think about before you approach running this overall i think that would be my major criticism of all three modules is that it requires a lot of work for you as the person running it to create a cohesive world from the beauty and horror presented by the art and language uh my takeaway from all three modules is that in order to make this make any sense, I would actually have to make my own maps. I'd have to create a point crawl or something and decide on the distances. There's a lot of relative distance problems. Like, like it would, it'll, it'll say something like this building is 500 miles long and 200 miles tall. I can't remember the exact numbers, but something along those lines. Okay, if that's true, why is it on the map it looks like really close to this other place? How is that even possible? I there I just I don't know how to gauge. And then it'll say, you know, each tile is 10 miles long. <laughs> okay. It's hard to explain without you actually looking at it. I think that's part of the problem here. We're talking about art. They're very abstracted. You know, I think it's very like representational. This isn't like a one-to-one <laughs> um uh, diagram. That's not like a technical diagram of the land or of the space. Uh, even though like each, each module kind of widens out a little bit. Like first one is a ship. Second one is kind of these temples and other encounters. Third one is like this world basically. And we kind of get away from maps. It's just kind of this more of like a campaign setting really. Right. Uh, I love that one. The, the one on Mars. I love that one. Even that one is uh, 1,500 miles high, actually, is the actual size of the auto confederacy, which is what I was referring to earlier. Not use that information. Oh, and each tile was 100 miles. <laughs> it wasn't even close. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So anyhow, my takeaway is these modules are usable as parts, not as a whole. Okay, I would slightly disagree. I do think it is usable as a whole, but this is kind of a different presentation of information than maybe what a lot of people might read as like good adventure design. And I don't know if that's necessarily accurate. This isn't like a technical representation of a space and the happenings. This is kind of more a series of procedures and weirdness that you kind of have to just surrender to the game and see what happens with maybe the caveat that you're going to have to just kind of go with it and put some improvisation in there. You know what I mean? But, you know, that's, I felt like that when I was running ultraviolet grasslands, I really had trouble imagining 
what that game would be like as I was reading it. And until I played it where I just kind of just like surrendered to the will of the game and let players just kind of make their own stories. I was kind of like, okay, I, I feel like I'm understanding this, this document more, but yeah, it's not like, you know, hole in the oak where it's like, Oh, here is a room and the room is made of wood and there it is dripping with slime and there is a pine cone. And if you touch the pine cone, this thing will happen. And there are 20 feet until you get to this other thing. You know what I mean? This is like, <laughs> I don't know. It's this kind of abstracted, weird space of blood and vampires. And I don't just reading it. I don't get a clear like theatrical staging sense of like, this is how this scene goes out. And then after that, I know that this scene is going to play out. I would say the biggest difference between this and ultraviolet grasslands is that Luca knows how to draw maps that I can use. Yeah. He has this incredible map that is just massive. Like, you know, his Oregon trail style map. I'm able to use it. I had no problem understanding it. When I look at the blood ship in um, the second super blood harvest adventure, uh, the blood ship crosses the lunar sky. It, it it makes no sense to me. I don't know how, I mean, you're talking about, Oh, you just have to surrender to it. Okay. Okay. Let's do that. In both the first and second adventure, oxygen appears to be a major environmental concern. <laughs> yeah. I understand that. That that makes sense to me. My my guess is in the first adventure, you're not wearing a spacesuit when you fall into the blood duct or whatever. But it doesn't really do anything with that, right? You just have to kind of figure it out on your own. Okay, well, I guess the PCs can hold their breath. I don't know how much of a distance this is because the map is useless. So I don't know if the juncture where they decide to go left or continue straight, which is their only real choice. Is that a five minute journey through the blood ducts? Is it a hundred percent underwater under blood? Like, I just don't know. I just don't know. I have to make it up. So, okay, fine. I decide. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's challenging for me in the, in the first one, because only one character starts with a space helmet. I think the monster hunter character has, it says like, yeah, you have 30 minutes supply of air. All the other ones do not have that. And every room adjacent to the starting room has no air. So, you know, there are like randomly generated treasures that appear. Like the first room, there's a treasure you can find. And there are a few items in like the treasure table that are things like a spacesuit. I'd love to know what people did with that. How how players dealt with that. Are people just holding their breath and taking damage? How are you dealing with this oxygen situation? Well, I feel like I've become a broken record here in, in these reviews where I don't like when the players don't feel agency. And I feel like this is a situation which, yes, if they happen to find something in that room, one of them won't have to worry about this. But from what I can tell, they have zero agency unless they get really lucky. They literally start in this room. They have exactly, as far as I can tell, one way to logically get out of it. When they're in this blood duct, they then have a, a, another like tiny option, but they have no idea based on the information on the map or in the text. Um, there's no real way to tell them how to find air. So again, I can see them just dying five minutes in. And I don't find that fun. I, I'm not saying you shouldn't be brutal. It should, it should just, <laughs> yeah. Character death should happen as a result of a player's own stupidity or genius. Never by accident. It doesn't interest me. I mean, I guess there are circumstances where you, if you chose 
to put yourself in danger and you accidentally died, that's that's legit. But in this case, there's no choice being made. So that, that's that's the first. But let's go to the next adventure, okay? The In the Moon Temple. It is described as having poisonous haze. Only the pink tiled rooms contain breathable air. What What am I supposed to do? with this. So there's very few rooms that have pink tiles. Um, in fact, goodness, only one of the rooms in this entire, Oh no, two of them. Um, they're technically white tiled with pink border. Anyways, only two of these rooms have air. So again, what if you didn't have a space suit? How is this fun? I I don't, I I know if I ran this, that I would just nix that stuff and say that they have air. Yeah. I, I just don't, especially in a game like into the odd which we'll get to. Um, but that's my major, major critique. And that's just an example is I don't believe it's, I think the maps do nothing. If anything, they actually make it worse. And I think some of it is difficult on the PCs to the point of removing their ability to, uh, easily come up with solutions to their problems because I, as the GM would have to just do a lot of work to help them figure out, where they should be going and what they should be doing. Cause I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to come up with that. Maybe you're right. Maybe I just need to let it wash over me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like for me, the maps have enough for me to run it. I mean, I see halls, I see rooms, the rooms are labeled, um, you know, stuff that isn't on the map. I think I can kind of just wing it stuff like, Oh, is there a door? Um, yeah, the air thing is definitely like an interesting consideration, but that's something I might drop too, just because that does seem like such a difficult subject that seems like it would take over players' brains. It's like, how are we going to breathe? Though I got to say, most of these characters have really high strength scores, and I think you can hold your breath for like strength divided by two minutes. So that's pretty generous amount of like breath holding time for a game like this. I don't know. Still, yeah, it's that's tricky. I don't know. And I don't know how you're supposed to like talk and interact with people in a room if you can't breathe. But I don't know, just the like the style and the just the flavor of these maps are just like interesting enough that I can forgive certain like navigational challenges for for what I get just from like vibes. I don't know. It's just there you get so much flavor from these maps. They're just so unique that I don't know. I'm I'm willing to make that payoff and make that trade off. I'm not willing to make that trade-off if it means I have to do a lot of work. And I feel like rather than that, more likely I would run, you know, I'd run the Underkirk, which is like a dungeon sort of from the second adventure. I might run that as an isolated um, location somewhere and I would kind of pad it to make sure it fit in with what else I was, whatever else I was doing. Thematically, this is all very science fantasy, which I like, although it really leans heavily into the space stuff. You know, you've got these like spaceships with vampire captains and stuff. It's pretty cool. I don't know how I could use some of the later stuff. Like there's all these factions that uh, even if I ran the game as is, I don't know how I'd keep track of them. They're so complicated, which whatever, that's me. Are you talking about the which which module are you talking Both about? Both the second one and the third one have multiple factions. The second one it's easier to to keep a handle on because there's only a couple. The third one though, uh, there's like ten. There's like ten of them, and it's cool. <laughs> They're great. 
It, they're awesome. They are awesome. If only I understood where they all were on a map, because I don't. I do not. <laughs> so, so I think we should probably get into spoilers here. There's not that much more to say, but I think it might be worth it to jump into this really nitty gritty. Sure. Spoilers for Super Blood Harvest starting now. My favorite thing from all three modules is the Sword Princess uh, character that you can play. Um, I'm going to read the description here. You were born far away in the Rocket Kingdoms, drawn to Mars by dreams of one of your companions. The meaning of the dreams is still unclear. Equipment is a beam blade and two upgrades, a hyperweave shirt, a bubble belt, and you can choose one special. Either you can uh, pump up your damage, make yourself really like a hyper skilled at fighting people with a melee weapon, or you can use your psi blade to target anyone you can see. That feels fun. I love this character because the description is one sentence long and it tells you there's something called the Rocket Kingdoms. Okay. <laughs> you are a sword princess. And you've come here because of a dream of one of, of one of your companions. So it connects you to the other characters in the in the party, which, by the way, I think starts in the second module. Dirk starts doing that, connecting the different classes to one another. Anyhow, I just love that. I, I think the illustration is also really great uh, right beneath it. So that to me is like, wow, I love flavorful stuff like that. Um, and then there's, of course, like, there's like the dragon mage and the auto mind replicant. Yeah. What, what strikes me about, so all of these is that all the modules just have so many, I think, interesting ideas per page. And I think they only get more refined as each module goes. I think Dirk finds kind of more effective ways to organize these good ideas, like having one enclosed dungeon where, which is the first module it can feel a little awkward. Some of these ideas are kind of like clashing from off of each other in hard to understand ways in a little bit. But by the time we get to the third one, I don't know. There's just such an effective distribution of like interesting and flavorful stuff per page. Like most of the classes have some kind of connection with factions that are found in this giant world to explore. Um, like the dragon mage, there's these giant dragon AIs that are, you know, ruling the world. There's like the mountain dragon and the, the sea dragon. Dragon mage is one of the mountain dragons, prize sorcerers who's escaped. And you pick which combination of elemental essences, because this is like weird <laughs> Turk stuff. The elementals are, the elements are fire, water, and slime. <laughs> I love, you can just go all in on being a slime mage and you can summon giant slugs with a hundred hit points to fight for you. It's just so funny. Right. So there is, I think no question that the third one is the most flavorful and interesting and approachable of all of them. Like it's not just weird horror stuff. It's, it's all very original and easy to use in an adventure. I think you could just pull it out and use it in your own adventure provided you had a little bit of tweaking in some cases. I think it's, I think in general, it's the most per page useful module of all three. Um, there's just so much going on. And even some of the maps almost make sense. Like the Ark of Imperium is, I guess, a multi-story building. 
Of course, you only see it from the outside, so you don't really understand what the rooms are like. But that doesn't matter. You treat it like a point. If you treat it like a point crawl, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, and th- like by volume three here, this is to me just like a full on campaign setting. I feel like I would need to f- fill in the blanks a little bit with some some dungeons, but I think it's it's interesting that we've zoomed out. We're not looking at dungeon maps anymore. These are big, like abstracted space maps, which is kind of what I think Dirk's mapping and art style are better for anyway. And that there's no like defined goal. First volume, it's okay, you're in the bloodship. You don't want to be in this bloodship. So figure out how to stay alive or escape the bloodship, right? Volume three, it's like, well, you're in this big weird weird world. You're on Mars. You're a, you know, a human basically. And there's all these AIs that probably want to kill you. Um, there's no like set goal, but it, you know, the characters you pick and the relationships that you have and just some of the encounters that you roll are really going to just define the stories that get told through this in a really interesting and dynamic way. I agree with everything you just said, but I'm also now going to criticize it a lot. <laughs> right. So here, here's the problem with this system. Turk rules. It is very much like you tried to mash mothership with into the odd, but you kept the worst aspects of both the way I see it into the odd is about avoiding combat and using critical thinking to never put yourself in danger. Mothership, you, there's definitely that, but there's nuanced rules for how you survive stressful situations, uh, you know, upgrading your weaponry so that you can increase your chances and all that stuff. There's a lot of like strategic elements to it that I think work pretty well. Uh, not just Mothership, lots, lots of other systems do this. I cannot understand why someone would use into the odd to achieve this particular goal there is this sort of big boss she has 100 hp now in into the odd typically the most hp you'll ever see is like 20 because beyond 20 hp becomes sort of irrelevant the whole idea of hp um, which was called hit points and then was later changed to hit protection and in mythic bastion land is called guard the whole idea of hit protection is it represents your skill and resilience at avoiding getting hurt having 100 hp is it doesn't you're never going to get hurt that much like that's just not how the combat works you the the dice rolls are too low now you can augment that in the way that dirk has by adding these different power-ups and stuff but realistically, Into the Odd as a base is such a lethal game that getting into direct combat with something that has 100 HP, like the Queen, um, will end in your death. So in general, that 100 HP will never matter. Like the way you'll beat a Queen is by role-playing or some kind of fancy maneuver or trap that you set up that the GM adjudicates kills off the queen you know that that 100 hp will never matter it could be 30 hp it will never matter even with the rules as they are which there's a number of kind of tweaks to defense in the system that almost makes sense to me i i don't see it as being the best system for this adventure honestly you mentioned uvg ccat would do so well with this so, which is Luca's own system um, design for UVG. 
So that's my major critique. Uh, aside from the fact that the maps are useless, I don't believe that mechanically it makes much sense to use Into the Odd as a base, even with Dirk rules. Uh, I, m- maybe I need to run them and then I'll get it. Um, to be, oh, one thing I wanted to say, I love that it uses gems. I think that's great. Oh, yeah, as a currency. Uh, I don't really, you know, here's another example. There's a weapon called the Rocket Sledge that does 210 damage. What am I, what am <laughs> I applying that to a spaceship? Okay, I'm, okay, so. You kill that, you kill the queen with that, buddy. There you go. There's your yeah, problem solved. Exactly. The fact that we need to articulate that through mechanics, it just seems incongruous with the philosophy behind Into the Odd. And again, I'm just critiquing this as somebody who has played a lot of that system. Perhaps it will be different if I actually played this and understood it internally, but I just don't, I don't understand. Yeah. I think that's interesting, you know, and I think, you know, I I might, I might, uh, posit that you're more of a system guy. Um, but I wasn't thinking kind of mechanically about this at all. I actually didn't read Dirk rules until after I finished volume two of super blood harvest. So yeah, I, I like none of the mechanics was really on my mind as I was reading this. I was more just kind of like soaking in the encounters and the, you know, the, the, uh, the presentation of these different rooms or factions or whatever as more concepts than like the, the actual mechanics of how this actually plays out with dice and, and systems. So I think that's interesting. Um, I think you're right that I am more of a system guy. Troika, for example, would work great with this thematically. I just wanted to add that in there. I can't help but look at it through a systems lens because I think about, you know, when I'm running a game, there are two things that de- determine whether the game experience will be up to my liking. And um, one of those is the mechanics and the other is the style of play and they can work in tandem or they can be opposed. You know, uh, I preferred a certain style of play, but used to run a system I didn't like. And there was always this kind of feeling of imperfection at the end. I haven't felt that way for a long time. With this, I would feel there is an, a sort of a disconnect. I would feel like, Hey, why are my why are the PCs dying so easily? Oh, well, maybe they need to be more strategic. Okay, so maybe we should adjust the expected play style to match this kind of strategic squad based combat that it kind of generates. Like I feel like that's what the game is good for groups of players that have um, a high strategy mindset. And maybe that's just not me. Maybe that's what this comes down to is that I have the wrong mind- mindset. Maybe maybe it's not the children who are wrong in this case. Maybe it's me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to argue. Yes. In this case. Yes. That's, that's, that's what's happening here. (laughs) I don't know. There's, uh, you mentioned just like style of play and this is all, all the modules presented here. You know, I don't feel this trying to figure out how to say this, the adventures presented here strike me as, different and presented in different paces and at, you know, different story beats than the kind of games that I am used to playing and running. And that is interesting to me. That is a different frame of reference that I really want to dive into. And I want to figure out like, 
how does this feel so interesting and unique? You know what I mean? I would love to see a video of Dirk running this for people. Like I would love to see what does that look like? This is just a game where there is so much here that I just want to absorb and just like sit in a hot tub of super blood harvest. You know what I mean? But I feel I'm just on the outside of the hot tub. I'm saying, let me in, like show me how to sit in this hot tub. (laughs) You know, that's, that's my main takeaway from these books. I think. What did you feel about the bestiary bestiary? I I never know how to Uh pronounce that word. Bestiary. No, bestiary. What did you feel about the bestiaries drawn as maps or whatever the hell they are? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. It's just like quirky, cool presentation. I just thought that was an interesting way to present it, but I did think kind of compared to some other modules, the items lists and the bestiary or however you say that absolutely matters. Like the stories and the way the game works keeps going. It doesn't stop at like the room descriptions. Like you have to understand the items that characters can find and the monsters and the factions to really find all the connective tissue to unite this, this module and make it work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause there is just story in these things and there is procedure in these things that I think is a little more important or more. Yeah. Just more applicable than a lot of other games out there. To your point, there are these little banners called miscellaneous features on various faction pages. And they're basically just uh, run on sentences with semicolons. And they're so good. They're like, here's what you might find at this place. A vat of molten gold, a locked theater, a clone nursery, service tube access, gym equipment, and a dozen clones performing synchronized workout routines, secret blood cash. Like they're just piranha tank. You know, they're so ridiculous. Um, Sleep pods full of off-duty soldiers. They're great. Isn't that great? I feel like that's that's Dirk kind of taking a look at these modules and saying, you know, I think this works best if I don't explicitly draw a map here. I'm going to give you features. You fill in the blanks of your map, but here's some interesting set dressings and encounters for you to figure out. I don't agree. I think he, I think that's good. I think I like that sort of thing, but it has to, I have to have some way of visualizing what the hell is going on and text can do it. I mean, we saw that with the aisle. It, it, it can give you an idea of what's going on. I just feel like there is something missing for me to be able to really lean into it. And that text is great. It's great. I just wish there was an accompanying map that, let me in that gave me a, a, a handhold to put myself in that world. I have a question for you. Would you consider this gonzo? <laughs> um, it's hard. I mean, when you're working with space stuff, I feel like that it's hard to apply that term. I, when I think gonzo, I think there's like weird fantastical elements within a framework of normalcy. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, we're a medieval British turnip farmers, but all of a sudden there are slime aliens falling out of the sky and they have machine guns and the, you know, chimpanzees are wearing sunglasses, you know, that kind of like 
absurdity kind of living within a mundane shell. Yeah, this is, though, is just like weird Zorro science fantasy. This is like 70s, like Michael Moorcock novels at their absolute most acid drenched, you know, like we're starting at a place of weird. So I guess it's kind of gonzo, but it just seems to be kind of the genre that it lives in is inherently gonzo, almost so that label doesn't apply. Yeah, I wasn't stating a particular perspective. I was just curious based on our conversation about uh, Zed and Two Knots, you calling you calling it gonzo and we had a little disagreement there. So I was wondering if how this fit in there. I, I don't see it as gonzo in particular. Um, although it does remind me a bit of some other material I've seen from DCC. Um, but that's, I think, just probably coincidental. Uh, anyhow, it's funny. I feel like in uh, Super Blood Harvests, I think some some of the elements that strike me as most Gonzo are like the weird mundane stuff they threw in, like the House of Luddites. It's just like all of a sudden there's this surrounded by a sea of poisonous blood and like a giant sea dragon AI, like city size construct. There is a farm of Christians who are just great raising goats and chickens and doing their best. It's like, what are you doing here? That stuff I actually like the most about this module because it was the most of all three. This module felt the most like a place I would want to actually go to. Unlike the previous two where obviously I'm not going to go to a blood ship. The moon was just like so dark. The whole the God's different brain or the, the the God's head and mouth and hands just floating around weeping. I just couldn't really, it's all, it all sounds like versions of hell to me. This is the first one where I was more interested in like living in that world. I will, I really want to run volume three, but I feel like I would run this with no prep. I would just kind of wing it. And I feel like that's how it's meant to be played. This is not one where you draw a map of a dungeon. This is one where you just crack it open. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you, we'll, we'll do this today. You're a madman. <laughs> I think that's the spirit of the game. You know, there's no map, you know, like the, um, the Imperium or whatever, like the, you get the outside of the building, but no rooms, but there's a list of room ideas. Like that doesn't strike me as something that's meant to be mapped. That's something that's just like, oh, okay, I think we need some combat here. I think we, you know, this is just like tap into like that deep DM brain and just just unleash it. <laughs> that's definitely one way of doing it, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I think I would just use pieces from it, maybe whole chunks and kind of do the work myself. Um, still, at the end of the day, it's pretty amazing that this got made, so... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad it exists. And I did back his next, his sequel. So, Yeah, I did too. I love this book. I'm really excited. I know the, the new one that he's working on started as a redo of the first module. And then it kind of turned into its own different thing. So can't wait to see what that looks like. Yeah. To be clear, I wouldn't, I would never run the first module. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad that the blood ship is returning um, I think he's obviously learned a lot because you can see it get better and better. I still would never use Dirk rules in this. I wonder how Vaults of Varn would do with this, actually. I was thinking about Vaults of Varn, too. I feel like this is some some very Varnish kind of content. Uh, I, I, lo- I think I actually am going to run the first one here. I love all this stuff. And I just want to see what happens when I try it. This is one I kind of mentioned offhand to my group. I was like, 
they were talking about vampires in space. I'm like, oh yeah, I've got this book that's like you get kidnapped by a vampire bloodship, and they were like, what? What? Like, it it, it just uh, really struck a nerve. So I feel like I got to go there. Is this not, this is the uh, the Pathfinder group? Oh yeah, the Pathfinders. They want to play it. Yeah. So that I'm, now I'm really keen to know what they think because they're more into the minutia of combat, you know, by definition. Yeah. And I'm going to, I think they'd like just having a big list of stuff they can do. Like, Oh yeah, you can grab a guy and use him to block damage. And this is how that works. I know. Don't they know Brad that you can already do that. You don't need it to be written down. Sorry. Sorry. Let's not have this debate. No, they don't. They could, they don't know that. Okay. This has been fun. I'm glad that we, finally found something that we slightly disagree on. I hope we have many future such conversations like this because uh, it's interesting to see what other people take away from something. You know, I, I feel like I have a better appreciation of it after talking to you. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I want to hear what other people think about this one for sure. Uh, you leave a comment below, like, and subscribe. We, we talked about this. No. Like that kind of thing. You like that? God, No. I'm just trying to talk like the other people talk. First off, it's not on YouTube, so that doesn't even make any sense. Well, anyways, that's it for Between Two Cairns. Thank you for listening. We love you. Oh, we were so close. We were so close. Okay.